You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And welcome down to Socks in the Basement. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Sit on down at the nine-foot homemade oak bar in my basement here on the south side and pour a cold one. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. I've had water in my basement no less than four times in the last 15 years. One time I had to throw out pretty much everything. The only thing that survived was the bar, and I just got lucky. The weight at the basement was sloped. Everything else gone. Brand new floors, brand new walls, things taken down to the studs in some areas just because of water damage. And you know what it was? It was a sump pump that went bad. And if I were to call the place like Family Waterproofing Solutions and had them just do a checkup on what's going on in the basement, think of the aggravation, the insurance claim, the time, the despair, all of that would never have happened. They can go online and do it virtually, or they can be on site. They have safe ways to do this. Free estimates. You got some seepage. Take care of it now before it becomes a problem. The phone number on the Socks in the Basement logo right on your podcast player or at SocksInTheBasement.com. Visit them today, F-A-M-W-S.com. I want to kick off the show today with a guy that we had on towards the beginning of the offseason. And we talked an awful lot about... The, the value of players and how to project them going forward. And Jason Martinez of Fangraphs was pointing out that, you, you know, with a small sample size, it's hard to tell whether or not a young guy that you only have a small sample size for, how, how can you tell what that guy's really going to do? You have your hopes, but it's a lot easier with guys that you can plug in that are veterans. Since then, we've got the Sox getting Lance Lynn through a trade. We we see them go out and grab Adam Eaton. He's got an awful lot of time in the major leagues. Uh, They brought back Carlos Rodan most recently. They go out and they get Liam Hendricks. And I wanted Jason to come back on and kind of take a look at the White Sox so far. Jason, how are you? Very good. Very good. A lot has happened the last last week after a very slow slow offseason. So uh, it's finally picking up here. Yeah, you're going nuts on Twitter now trying to update uh, all the fan graphs outlooks for these teams. It seems like I see one of your tweets for some team like every 15 minutes because there's always an addition going on. Uh, looking at what the White Sox have done, they did do something that you talked about. They went out and got guys that you know what they are. You know what their ceiling is. You know what their floor is. You can accept either one of them. Lance Lynn, for sure, a guy like that. Even Adam Eaton, I think, a guy like that. Liam Hendricks. He's been pitching for a while He's shown over the last couple seasons, finally, this amazing ability to close games. He's become the best closer, at least uh, in Major League Baseball. Statistically, a lot of people believe him to be the best closer coming into this year. And then they go out and they grab an old friend just the other day in Carlos Rodon. They spent about $28 million between those four guys on payroll. So it seems like they have a budget if that's what Rick Hahn was given to go out and improve his team, what does Fangraphs, what do you think about what he was able to do with the money he was given by the ownership? Yeah, I think, you know, what we were, we were talking about earlier in the offseason, what my focus is during the offseason as well is, you know, we talk about certainty a lot versus upside and, you know, how that, how that is so valuable over 162 games in depth as well. And so, when you talk about a guy like Lance Lynn, 
and projecting that out. It's a lot easier to project out. You're pretty certain what you're going to get with Lance Wynn, whether it's, you know, he's probably going to give you, you know, three, three war, three wins. That That's like, you know, it's not, it's not a lock, but you're pretty certain that that guy is going to give you 30 starts and he's going to be pretty good. And so you mix it in with enough of, of, of these other options that you're not sure of, whether, whether it's because they're young, because they're injured. Um, but that's, that's so important. And now you got to, you know, you can say he's one of the best closers in the league, maybe the best closer in the league in Liam Hendricks. You never really know with, with the reliever from year to year. But what you did was you you took you could have added to the middle of that bullpen, which was already pretty good. You got so many guys who, who were good last year. Um, but, again, not a lot of certainty. But you could say, look, we got a bunch of these guys who have at least proven that they, you know, it, they can be reliable, that some of them can be dominant. Um, so let's plug a couple more guys in, and we're going to be good. But they actually went straight to the top. They said, we're going to put a guy above these and then push everybody else down, which really, you know, for for a guy like Aaron Bummer, you say, well, this guy looks like he could probably be a good closer, but now he doesn't have to be the closer. He can be the seventh and eighth inning guy. Same with Evan Marshall and, and uh, Garrett Crochet. I think it's so important that you have the option to – develop him as a starting pitcher if, if, you, if they choose to. Even though they haven't added a, a lot, they've, they've really been high certainty guys, just added to the depth and added to a real a team that was, you know, I, I think I had them going into the offseason, probably the best team in the AL. And a lot of that was because the Yankees, the Astros, uh, the Twins had so many holes just because of free agency um, that the White Sox were a little bit ahead of them. And the White Sox has solidified that, I think. But, the, you know, the other teams, the Yankees have brought back LeMahieu. Blue Jays have made a couple big moves. The Astros brought back Brantley. Twins are, are, are making some moves as well. So I think they're all pretty close now. But as far as where the White Sox started, they were in a very good place. And they've added, only added to that. Now, I want to go back to something you just said there. The idea that you bring in Lynn, it kind of it solidifies that top end of the rotation. Because I remember when we talked the last time, uh, Giolito had st- his sample size still wasn't big enough. Like you, you were pretty confident that he was going to continue being what he is. Dallas Keuchel was more of the example of a guy you could see, you could see his floor, you could see his ceiling, you could figure out pretty much what he is. Lynn adds to that, and, and Liam Hendricks does bounce all those relievers back one spot because he's the closer. So you don't have to rely on one of these other guys figuring out how to be a closer. The only issue I have, I'd, I'd love it if you could take a look at this Rodon signing. Because it got a reaction not only from me, but a lot of different fans have kind of weighed in on this. I saw a social media blow up on it. This is a guy that the team wasn't too keen on keeping at the end of the year, who's had a lot of injuries, and it's almost like they went with the devil they know. If he's the only addition for the back end of that rotation, is that enough? Is he a player that you have some certainty on? Or is it just more of we're going to have more lottery tickets between him and Cease and Lopez and Kopech possibly could be, you know, ready very soon. You never know if they could decide they want to stretch out uh, uh, Garrett Crochet and even move him into the starting rotation in the back half of the season. It, it seems like they have a lot of names, but not a lot of certainty on the back end of that rotation. Yeah, and that's going to be typical, you know, for, for most teams. So, so if if you only have two spots that you're uncertain of, but you have five or six options and, and you know, you know, with, with, with Lopez and Rodon, those guys, you know, at some point in their career, they were thinking, wow, these guys are really going to be good 
And, you know, as things happen with pitchers injuries or, or whatever, it's years later and it's like, are they even going to be in our rotation? Maybe they need to be in the bullpen, which at this point, it's valuable to have a guy like Lopez who, you know, and he has an option remaining. A lot of these guys have options as well, which, which is valuable in, in, in its own way. But to have somebody who, you know, okay, well, he can be in our bullpen. This guy could be effective. You know, if we need, if we need to have him make a spot start, he can do that. And he also has the potential to just, you know, impress in spring training and okay. Oh, now he's in our rotation and he'll be there until he proves up, you know, that he, that he shouldn't be um, with a guy like, like Rodon with the injury history, uh, not as much flexibility, but I think, you know, just being a guy who's 28, they know him really well. Um, if, if they feel good about, you know, the, the, you know, he's trending positively as far as, you know, he, he just, he just wasn't ready to come back. He's been hurt so much. It's, t- it's going to take him a few years to get back to where he was, which at, at one point it was like, wow, this guy's going to be a really good number two or three starter. Um, and so at, at just 28 years old, I think there's still some upside there. And I think you, you have the ability to, to have him come to spring training, stretch him out as a starter and the back, you know, the, the, uh, the backup plan, of course, is they he can pitch out of our bullpen. He can either be a long relief guy who can give us two or three innings if necessary, and he also has the kind of stuff that, you know, if, if he if he takes to that role and he's doing good in short stints, then maybe he's a guy who's throwing in, in the ladings as well. Is there anybody that you look at a position that you think they need to throw in there when you look at the depth chart? I know right now Fangraphs actually list Aloy Jimenez as the likely DH if they don't add another hitter at the beginning of the year, and they're putting Angle and Robert out in the outfield along with Adam Eaton, and I, I don't think that's what White Sox fans thought was going to be the plan. They thought there was going to be another hitter that was going to come in until you eventually got to Andrew Vaughn down the line here later on this season, but what could they do right now and 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 do affordably? to solidify this a little bit more? Because it sounds like, as you said, there's a few other teams in the American League. We're all kind of drawing up pretty close to each other right now. Yeah, and, and you pointed it out with, with Jimenez. And I think when you look at these, you know, the, the Fangraphs uh, roster resource pages that I, that I manage, the thing, you know, if you're a fan and you look at it and you go, and something, something just sticks out and you go, that doesn't look right. And, and I always say, well, that's how you know. That's, that's where there's some work to be done. So I, I have Jimenez in the D8 spot. And I've thought from early on, okay, well, who, who's going to start? There's a hole here, obviously. Let's put let's put Adam Engel in the outfield. He had a good, you know, I think he's had some potential. It's been years, and I think they kind of settled on, okay, this guy's probably a fourth outfielder. Um, he had a pretty good pretty good year in 2020. He shows uh, some some potential to play a little bit more than just you know against left-handed pitchers. But you know, for the most part, I think that's going to change pretty quickly. They're going to add another outfielder or another DH and, and, and he's going to be the fourth outfielder, but they haven't done it. And so all of a sudden, you know, we're a couple of weeks from spring training opening and you go, really? Jimenez is the DH and Engel is the left fielder. I, I don't know. I, I think, so obviously my, my point is that there is a, that one spot there. I think there's a one spot for a best. There are a lot of outfielders on the free agent market that have a good track record that can probably still play and they aren't going to cost very much. I mean, you can just you can take a look at uh, who's available now, and you got like the Josh Reddicks and the Matt Joyce and and uh, somebody like Mitch Moreland who can share first base and DH with with Abreu. 
Um, and these guys, these guys can hit against right-handed pitching. So, and then then you got natural platoon with 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 angle. Probably aren't going to cost more than a few million dollars. So, so I I think that would be the obvious move for me. Jason, what I'm hearing is uh, White Sox, Astros, Yankees, Twins. These are the big boys that are out there. They're up towards the top. They're they're all looking pretty much the same because they those other teams have been able to add pieces compared to what the White Sox have done. Uh, Sox are going to be in the thick of the hunt. Follow him on Twitter at Jason R R Martinez. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime, Chris. Thanks. Sox in the basement, listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. I don't know if you've noticed, but I had not a not an angry exchange, not even in the least, just a, a very normal exchange on Twitter with one Steve Stone. And I agree with Steve Stone 99% of the time. I think his baseball analysis is incredible. But Steve is misinformed when he's trying to talk about these so-called negotiations between Major League Baseball and the MLBPA. And I, before I get to here, buddy, I just want to kind of recap to everybody what happened. Steve's on Twitter, and he's trying to explain that the deal that was offered to the players, which is get paid for 162 games and only have to play 154 expanded playoffs, but you also get the universal DH, it seems like a good deal. Why won't the players take it? And then went on to explain in a follow-up tweet that Rob Manfred can just institute whatever he wants to, just like last year. And this is when I piped up and explained to Steve that he was wrong because what happened last year was because of an agreement, a side agreement to the collective bargaining agreement that allowed for the commissioner to have those powers because back then nobody knew what the virus was going to do. Were we going to have ball players that were going to die from it? Were we going to have, uh, were we going to see casualty rates go up even higher than they are at one? I mean, the projections for this disease back then was Get ready to just cross out like two, three percent of the country. That's a much bigger number than what has happened so far. And now the vaccine is rolling out and everything else like that. And the players are saying, hey, wait a minute. NHL's playing. NBA's playing. Football's playing. They all have fans in the stands or most of them do. And then we already played. We were the guinea pigs with the shortened season that we did, the 60 game season that the commissioner implemented. So why would we have to shorten anything? But the big key to the entire thing, and then I'm going to let you jump in here, buddy, is that this new agreement, if the players agreed to it, would allow the commissioner to once again have the unilateral power to just decide, well, COVID's a little scary this month. We're not going to start until the All-Star break, and you're only getting paid for half the season. And that's what's being left out of this. There's a collective bargaining agreement 
And unless the president of the United States declares a state of emergency, which would screw up all the other sports leagues, so I don't think he's doing that, Major League Baseball kind of has to stick to the CBA, right? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you showed Steve Stone the back of your hand just a little bit. I didn't feel like I tweet, slapped him down or anything you, like that. You just showed it to him. You just said, Steve, 1% <laughs> of the time, this is what you get, and, and, and you can taste the back of these knuckles. But, you know, it, when you're looking at the CBA as a contract, and it's a contract between the Players Association, it's a contract with the, with the, the teams and, and with MLB, with the ownership, uh, that current CBA that expires in December 2021 allows for reopening of bargaining on, you know, certain things. And in case of an emergency like last year with the pandemic, the Players Association and the owners came together and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's our side agreement for the 2020 season. If they do that for the 2021 season, both sides have to sign off on not just the grand scheme of things, you know, oh, hey, shorter season, but Universal DH and we'll pay for the 162. Uh, you know, it's got to be something like we don't want the commissioner to have unilateral power because he doesn't have that in the CBA. Uh, the CBA says very specifically that it's a 162-game season played between 182 and 187 days. For, the, for what they call the championship season, and that's not including the playoffs and not including spring training, which has their own segments within the CBA as far as how those are scheduled and played out. So you have an opportunity here for the players to reopen bargaining and for the teams to reopen bargaining to come to an agreement that they think makes sense as far as what the 2021 Major League season should look like and any changes that would go against the current CBA in that regard, but both sides have to sign off on everything. And for it to be played out in the media with, yeah, but the players are getting paid for the full 162, even if we shorten the season, and look at all these guys that are going to be more employable by the universal DH, and they're basically holding up a picture of Marcelo Zuna. You know, that's great, and, and that's those are nice sweeteners for the Players Association, but they have to like everything. They can't just like those specific things. And if they're not willing to give up on something like who gets to make the decision if we're going to suspend play or if we're going to push the season back even further, if, they, if, if that really is a term that the commissioner's office can make that decision again, I can understand why the Players Association is in there going, no, we don't want to leave it with one person. We want to get it done now. We want to have an agreement to take us through this season, and then we'll, re, we'll look at the CBA again in 2021 at the end of the season like we were planning to since 2017. Big difference between you and Steve Stone. Steve Stone, excellent baseball analyst uh, and an actual attorney. So he kind of understands these things. And then we have like you know a guy like Ken Rosenthal who's on MLB Network and I believe Ken is is cozy with some of these owners. He gets an awful lot of information, and he's sitting there trying to say, like, well, you know, both sides have to come to an agreement. They technically don't. Like, here's here's what, and this is also coming from me, a guy who, and I'll just tell it, let everybody know, for about six, seven years, I was the president of the Cook County 911 Dispatcher Union. It was a, it was a union for all the dispatchers with the Cook County Sheriff's Police. I negotiated two contracts and one an arbitration case one time because they violated a CBA, which cost the county about $30 million over the next 10 years. I did that. All right. So I've been in these negotiations before and I understand how to read a CBA and how things actually work. This whole idea that's being floated by people who are kind of taking the side of the owners is, well, they should have a counterproposal. I would never counterpropose. 
And I don't know what you would advise as an attorney, but if you have a signed deal, any counterproposal later on when there's a court case over this and you're trying to say, well, you did this, they're going to say, well, you obviously thought there should be some agreement because you sent a counterproposal. You weaken your stance for the later lawsuit if the owners do something crazy and lock you out on opening day because they don't want to start on time. You, you open up the door to litigation that might not go your way, but if you just go, yeah, we're not negotiating this, we already negotiated it, and move on, you are more protected, right or wrong, Ed? Well, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it wouldn't weaken them to give a counterproposal? No, it, it wouldn't necessarily weaken their position in front of the courts or in front of an arbitration panel, because when you're, when you're talking about a breach of contract case, you can't bring in side negotiations. And the fact that they're, it's public. Everybody knows they're trying to come up with a deal potentially for this year. So it's not exactly something that's outside the realm of knowledge for any judge or any jury or any panel of arbitrators that's going to be looking at this case. But you can't bring up the specifics about the negotiation. Or even the fact that there was an attempted negotiation doesn't really play into what the decision would be as far as the breach. If you're talking about the owners just simply saying, look, we are renegotiating the CBA for the 2021 season or we're locking you out, then they don't really have anything to stand on because the CBA is still in effect. So through this season, it's very clear that the season has to take place over between 182 and 187 days. Does that mean it has to start in March or can it start in April? No, but that means it's going to go later and we all know that nobody really wants to do that. So if the owners were to lock out based on the fact that they're not getting any concessions on the CBA for this year from the players, the players, you're right about this. They do not have to counter. The question becomes, is it in the player's best interest to counter? And is there something to be gained there? And can they use their leverage to try and get something back over on the owners that's going to help them? What I'm hearing from you, Ed, because I want to get on to the next thing. What I'm hearing from you, though, is Steve Stone, wrong me, I was wrong about something. You, listen to Ed. That's what I'm going to tell people here. Listen <laughs> to Ed, and if the players decide that they're going to do nothing, basically the only option that the owners have is baseball in December, which will be just so much fun. Well, and you want to talk about TV revenues being down for baseball in December? Let's go up against the end of the NFL season, why don't we? <laughs> Are you a CFO? HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year. Out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals, and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. All right, let's talk about Carlos Rodan and let's talk about why I hated the move. Yeah, okay, I me too. I, I know you hated it. It's so funny, but it, both of us had the same visceral reaction to it. Uh, we did not like it. And I think that we didn't like it for the exact same reason. It, it showed that the White Sox were out of money. And I expected more. 
I expected them to at least be able to scrape together five to six million dollars for a pitcher of better caliber than Carlos Rodon. And I expected them to be able to scrape together, you know, eight or nine million dollars for a, a, a hitter that they could throw in there in a DH role. And rolling three out to Rodon makes me nervous. They've spent $28 million this offseason in terms of adding Lance Lynn's salary and also going out and getting Liam Hendricks, going out and getting Adam Eaton, and now adding the $3 million for Carlos Rodon. But let's not forget, Encarnacion comes off the books. You you got rid of Dane Dunning when you made the deal, although he's not really worth that much money. He was on a you know no. he's on his opening deal. That's not a big deal. Uh, but Calame was making ten mil. Did you basically end up with the same payroll that you would have had if you just would have given everybody their option? And that's what it feels like happened. Like Jerry Reinsworth was like, well, your budget is basically what you would have had to keep. So if you need somebody, get rid of somebody else. That's what it feels like, and that's where one. The reaction comes from the second part of the reaction is that Carlos Rodon is just not a good pitcher. You can look at his stat line any way you want to his best year. He was just a hair under a 1.30 whip and he only had 20 starts in that year because he's injury prone and he puts too many guys on base. And this is, this is, you said it before we got on the show. I'm going to let you get into it, but this is a first round draft pick bust that's being brought back because they know him, not because of his skill set. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had to walk my way through the gamut of emotions. And if you can find the Mismatch Socks blog on SocksInTheBasement.com, Please read it. it. Ed read wants it. more people to read his blog. Go to SocksInTheBasement.com, Mismatch Socks, and, and read his stuff. It's very, very good. To, to kind of sum up what I ran, ran through, I had the same visceral reaction as you, like you said. In fact, you texted me. I was out getting Snowmageddon preparations going, which basically meant I was just doing the weekly grocery shopping because I'm not a hoarder. Um, and, and I stopped dead in my tracks in a jewel and I'm like, what the, f-? you know, and I, and I'm, I'm, I had the same, like, what are they doing? And I had the thought of like, well, if they brought him back as a non-roster invitee, okay. But they threw him a 3 million guaranteed contract. That makes me mad. And we can look and say, okay, well, if the remaining pitchers out there sign for way more than 3 million, then it's a budgetary issue. It's a problem. I'm not happy about that. But what they brought back was they brought back a guy who at best is an average pitcher and competition for the young guys at the back of the rotation. However, I just, I can't shake the feeling that you can do better than Carlos Rodon. Maybe not for cheaper, but they've got to be able to find something better back there because the guy has never, never been good or reliable. He is just, at best, he is average. But if you're looking at this from the standpoint of he was supposed to be John Danks or Chris Sale, he's supposed to be the next great lefty starter for the Sox. He's not that. He's never going to be that. And if you are, to bring up Steve Stone again, if you're sitting here saying, well, maybe Ethan Katz has an idea because he's, you know, he speaks younger pitcher better than Don Cooper did. I'm getting really worried that the Sox are putting 40% of a championship rotation on Ethan Katz finding what should be very obvious flaws like Dylan Cease not flying open, Ronaldo Lopez changing his arm slot. I mean, this is stuff that if this is what we think is going to turn these guys into world beaters, that's a scary thought in and of itself because what we're saying is we can't go out and get guys who are going to be reasonably reliable to provide something. We're going to put it on the supposed pitcher whisperer and hope that he finds the one magic tweak that now gives Carlos Rodon a changeup so you don't sit on his slider because his fastball is this flat hittable thing that guys have teed off on. And we've been watching that since 2015. 
You know, and the other thing is, and I, I want to trade carefully here, but I kind of want to, I want to bring it up. I'm not sure if he has the mental makeup to be a swingman. I really, I, I don't believe that he does. I mean, it's only anecdotal. I don't know him personally, but how many wives of ball players names do you know on the White Sox? But I know who Ashley Rodon is. Why? Because she goes on Twitter every five days and she puts up the graph that shows how her husband got robbed in an at-bat. She shows some pitch that's just outside the strike zone and goes, it's the ump's fault, it's not my husband's. And she does it regularly. And it's funny sometimes. But when you add that to a comment that she made after the playoff series, where Carlos comes in and makes things worse in that game against the A's in game three, and he's got his shoulders down, and he looks like he's disgusted to even be out there, and he can't throw a strike, and he just basically can't wait to leave the mound. Like, he's almost not even prepared to be out there. And I know she was responding to a fan that was being a jerk because, you know what, when you're mad about the performance of a player, you don't direct tweet his wife that he sucks. And I no. can't see the original tweet because it got deleted, but she was responding to the guy. But her defense was, my husband's a starter, not a relief pitcher. Now, I talk to my wife about an awful lot of things, and maybe she's just shooting her mouth off defending her husband. But there is a real possibility based upon the way that he carried himself on the mound and her response and the fact that she's constantly telling everybody it's everybody's fault except for Carlos's. That could be the mentality in that household. And if that's what his mentality is, he he's not going to be a starter all year. He may have made $3 million, but the Sox are in trouble if he's in the rotation all year long. So he's going to be a swingman eventually when you have a guy like Kopech ready to go. And he's going to move into the bullpen. I think he's the first one into the bullpen if he even makes it. Because guess what? Tony La Russa isn't going to put up with this. Tony La Russa is not going to put up with this. Tony La Russa is going to have the stones that Ricky Renteria wasn't afforded because he's Jerry's guy. Nobody's firing him for telling the general manager, no, I want to bring this guy instead. And that's what Tony La Russa is going to do. He's an old man that wants to win a championship and doesn't have time for the opinions of people that disagree with him. I guarantee it. So Carlos Rodon is going to have a really hard time this year if the attitude is, well, I'm not a reliever. I'm a starter. I'm a star. You've never done anything to prove that you are. You have a lot of potential, but you've never been that. That's the other thing that sticks out to me. And maybe that's unfair. But when I look at the anecdotal things from the Twitter account of his wife to the way that he acted in game three, I, I, I am worried about that being an issue. You can't have that mentality in the starting rotation. You can't have that mentality in a bullpen. And how much of this game is half mental, according to Yogi Berra? Um, <laughs> you know, he's got to have the right mindset. And frankly, you know, you get to a, a, let's draw a comparison, for example, to uh, two guys from the 2005 team. All right. And I, and I don't want to bring up the 2005 team the way that people, you know, fawn over the 85 Bears. But there's a couple of guys that are, are swing men going into that season. And it's El Duque and it's Dustin Hermanson. Hermanson was not a closer walking into the season. No, Hermanson Shingo was there. Yeah. Yeah. Hermanson was there because he was a, for the, I think it was the Giants, that he was a starter and a reliever and he was a swing guy. And he had that mindset of, I just want to go out and do whatever the team needs me to do. And it ended up being closing for a while, right? And El Duque comes in and you get into the playoffs and he's okay coming out of the bullpen because he knows you got to do whatever the team needs you to do. And he's nothing but Moxie. And Carlos Rodon doesn't show me he has that mentality. And that's why, I, for what he was signed for, forget the money, forget the cheapness. Is it the right signing compared to what was available in the offseason? I don't think so. I don't blame Rick Hahn if his budget is 
you've got 28 to $35 million and he's still got another move to make here or two. I don't have a problem with it. It's a Jerry Reinsdorf problem. Okay. But this yeah. team had the ability to step up this year and at least spend more than basically what they would have spent if they just brought everybody back. And they didn't do that. And it's becoming apparent to me that this is not a Rick Hahn problem. Look what he did with $28 million. I mean, he did add a high-end rotation guy. He did get the best closer in baseball. He did bring a serviceable right fielder in that if he's healthy, although he is kind of made out of glass, will be be helpful in your outfield. But he And he was able to find a back-end pitcher for depth. That might be more than most teams could do with $28 million. The problem is he should have had more money. And if this is what he was given, shame on Jerry Reidstorf. The bottom line for it is, yeah, the, the money is always a Jerry problem. And shame on Jerry if he's not willing to spend to move the needle to we improved drastically. Ethan Katz better be the second coming of the greatest uh, uh, pitching coach ever. I, I, that's, that's basically the pressure we put on him at this point. Hey, Ethan, we got you three real starters and a bunch of stuff. Good luck, big guy. It's all yeah. right on you, because if you fail, you're fired. Like, <laughs> if you're Ethan Katz right now, if you're not excited, you're scared to death. By the way, Ethan Katz, if you're not Don Cooper plus Dave Duncan rolled into one actual human being. Wow, that's a big human being. Yeah, yeah, it's a very large <laughs> human being. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.